Command codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 339 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, and your weekly report on all things Star Trek, recorded live on Tuesday, October 17th, 2017, and available for download or streaming on Friday, October 20th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. I'm Kenna. And I'm Tony. And in our audio booth is our audio engineer, Winters. Hello, everyone. All right, Kenna, why don't you tell us what we've got coming up this week? Well, this week we're trekking out what could be NVIDIA's answer to the holodeck, what scientists are doing to try and design a real-life deflector shield, and where you can see some great cast reunion pics from Deep Space Nine. In Star Trek Online news, there's new content available on Xbox One and PlayStation 4, and we're getting excited over the new Miracle Worker ship Mega Bundle. Later, our science advisor, Dr. Robert Hurt, is here talking about the epic new discovery of gravitational waves. And finally, we'll be jumping on that F-bomb and more in our review of the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery. And as always, before we wrap up the show, we'll open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Captains, you know we love to hear from you between episodes, so please reach out to us. We are on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast. We're on Twitter at Priority One Pod. You can even send us an email via incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Captains, first of all, we want to thank those of you who are already existing patrons, and we'd like to send a special thanks to a few new patrons who have joined us over the course of the last few weeks. First up is Jocelyn. Thank you so much for your patronage. Thad and Katie. It's because of your ongoing support that we can keep the lights on and continue to improve on the technology and the software and the production quality of Priority One Podcast. So thank you very much. Now, Captains, if you haven't already considered it, please visit us over at patreon.com forward slash Priority One to find out what awesome perks we offer to those of you that offer a financial contribution. Like I mentioned last week, we don't aggressively pursue advertisers because we're grateful for the support that you offer. Captains, even if you contribute $1, that dollar can go a very long way if many of you do it. Now, we understand that sometimes you simply can't, but that doesn't mean that you cannot help us out. Please consider sharing this podcast with all of your Trekkie friends. Let them know that they can get their weekly roundup in an audio format that's easy to download and free. Remember, patreon.com forward slash priority one or just share our show. Captains, have you ever thought about working with Priority One on weekly productions of our shows? Well, as you know, Priority One is a labor of love for all of us, and none of us get paid. But we need some backup. We're looking for audio editors to help back up our team. Even if you have limited experience with audio editing, we'd be happy to teach you using free tools easily available online. Consider joining the team and becoming part of the Priority One cast and crew. If you're interested, we have a handy form on our website, or just shoot us an email to incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. 
Now let's check out the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. Jim, what in places? I don't know. Then let's check it out. In past episodes, we've spoken about the pros and cons between VR and AR and how Star Trek continues to be an inspiration for developers and manufacturers to create ultra-realistic virtual environments. Well, NVIDIA is hoping to shorten that bridge with its Holodeck collaboration platform. The platform generates a collaborative environment utilizing real-world physics, lighting, haptic feedback, and boasts handling 50 million polygons in their demo. So, for instance, several designers spread across the globe can work on a prototype in a hyper-realistic and interactive environment. Perhaps the most fascinating use of the technology is training artificial intelligence and other autonomous robotics. If you watch the Battlestar Galactica spin-off Caprica, this is really reminiscent of that virtual reality realm. A robot trains in the VR environment and then those learned skills get uploaded into the physical body. Instead of spending the money on physical, real-world situations, the robot learns how to climb steps, drive a car, avoid a collision, perform surgery in a virtual environment. Then, those skills get uploaded to its physical body. Is that, is that freaky? Doesn't it remind no. you of a film a little bit? That, that, that you know, where you, you go into like a virtual environment and then, like, a thing gets loaded and you learn a thing, like, really instantly, like, super fast, like... Kung Fu. Quick, everybody. Quick, everybody. Quick, everybody. <laughs> Can you drink Quick, ready? Get ready. Get it. Get it. Look, I wrote this and I purposely didn't make the Matrix reference because oh, it's not technically. It? It's technically. <laughs> it's technically not Matrix like. No. So. No, it was just the it's just the description. <laughs> no, because I've I've actually done this. The, there's a there's a company that puts together um, race car training simulators. And they put a chair on hydraulics, and you have to strap in, and they laser map uh, racetracks, and then model in the computer the actual physical race car down to, like, how much the uh, spoiler weighs, so that if you rip the spoiler off, the computer now knows your car weighs that much less and responds to the track in a different way. Hmm. And it is a lot of fun. And uh, and the guy that was running the thing said that, yeah, before you're allowed to touch a real car, they make you run laps in this thing for hours and make sure that you're not going to, you know, uh, you know, roll it or flip it or, or tear the spoiler off for real. Mm. So the, this this type of technology is at the forefront. The model I had was a primitive one, and this primitive one had three 55-inch screens set up in a, in a, in a, a, a tri-monitor setup, and like I said, these fancy hydraulics and stuff that shook you around, and when you hit the brakes hard, it pushed you forward into the seat belt and all this kind of stuff. That was the primitive one. Mm -hmm. uh, they said they got real-world ones with the AR and the VR stuff already there, so it's happening. It may seem like far into the future, but before you know it, it's early May 2018. So, if you've ever wanted to stand on the bridge of the Constitution-class Enterprise, you should start planning now for a trip to Ticonderoga, New York, the home of the original series set tour. On May 4th and 5th, William Shatner will be the headlining guest, taking pictures, signing autographs, doing a Q&A, and participating in a meet and greet. Tickets range from $85 to $199. So, have you ever wondered how Star Trek deflector shields might work? Well, as we know, much of Star Trek's Treknobabble is rooted in some way with actual science. Well, Kyle Hill's latest Because Science video on Nerdist.com dives deep into the plausible science behind Star Trek's deflector shields and what actual scientists are doing to generate a protective shield of magnetoplasma for manned space travel. Careful though, Captains, shields can't protect you from a neutron torpedo. 
Not, no, no, they could, because if the surrounding plasma envelope charged the casing of the neutron torpedo, thereby making it charge, the internal magnetic field would then be able to act on the casing and ejecting the neutron torpedo or deflecting it, depending on the, on the trajectory. So I'm going to have to take issue with that there, nerds. I'm going to have to take issue with that. Captains, if you don't already follow Because Science on Nerdist, it's actually a very good series <laughs> of nerdy deep dives into the science of our very special and phenomenal franchises that we love. He doesn't just do Star Trek, he'll do Star Wars or Marvel Cinematic Universe, sciences, just it's, it's fun and they're short clips and it's very entertaining. If you're on Twitter and follow cast members of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, you may have been pleasantly surprised by a flurry of behind-the-scenes selfies and photos of a Variety magazine professional photo shoot commemorating the 25th anniversary of the series. When the images will be published hasn't been announced yet, but you should follow at DS9Doc on Twitter. Links will be in the show notes. Interestingly enough, there is one person who was not in the photo shoot, and that was Captain Sisko himself, Avery Brooks. Yeah, that was a little disappointing to see, um, but he doesn't uh, participate in a lot of the, the Trek stuff these days, so I'm not really that surprised. Well, Captains, that wraps up the weekly roundup in general Trek news. Now, let's find out what happened this week in Star Trek Online and gaming news. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. Well, Captains, welcome to Star Trek Online and Gaming News, where we've got the details on the brand new Miracle Worker Mega Ship Bundle. But first, a couple pieces of new content for console players. The featured episode, Beyond the Nexus, starring LeVar Burton as Captain Geordi LaForge, is now available to play on PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. It's a quick little mission, and if you'll remember, this is the one where you get to spend a long time wandering around the halls of the Enterprise D. Well, I mean, I'm sorry. The Challenger. It's also the debut of LeVar Burton as a voice actor in Star Trek Online. So, this episode is not to be missed. Also on consoles, the Arena of Sompak event is back for the next three weeks, along with a new competition. Play the Arena of Sompak while it's on, and you could win a Krenum Science Vessel and a unique title in-game. Here's how it works. Assemble your team for the event, and when it's completed, take a screenshot using the inbuilt tools on either the Xbox One or PS4. Send it through to the community manager, Ambassador Kel, and he'll keep a running table of the top performing teams. At the end of the event, the team who advanced the farthest in the arena will win a Krenum Science Vessel and the title of Champion of Sompek, one for each member of the team. We'll leave a link to the full contest instructions and rules in the show notes for this episode at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO339. And finally, for console news this week, PlayStation 4 and Xbox One players are getting access to the free Discovery uniforms made available on PC a few weeks back. From now through the 9th of November, players can claim the brand new uniforms through the C-Store for the grand price of free. <laughs> There's also a Type 7 shuttle that you can claim for free as well to celebrate the 30th anniversary of the next generation. And don't worry, if you can't wait to flaunt those legs, scans will be coming to consoles soon as well. Now let's move on to some PC news and talk about those ships. A new ship mega bundle was released this week to go along with the recent release of Season 14 Emergence. 
This nine-ship bundle includes operations, science, and tactical cruiser variations for each of the three factions. Now, we don't always cover the release of new ships here on Priority One, but these ones are significant for a couple of reasons, and if you're in the market for a new ship, you may want to have a look. First, each ship comes with plus 30 to all subsystem power, which is 10 more for each subsystem than any other cruiser in the game. With that level of bonus, it will be significantly easier to maintain a high power level and maximize your damage output. Also, each of these ships has an extra universal console slot, again, above and beyond any other cruiser. That gives the normal, non-fleet version of these ships a whopping 12 console slots right out of dry dock. And since it's a universal slot, it gives you a huge amount of flexibility in your configuration. Now there's also a new mechanic called Innovation. Essentially, it introduces an element of chance to your battle tactics and rewards you for using your bridge officer abilities in certain sequences. The short sequences are random, as are the rewards once you hit the sequence, but the rewards are big. You could get an all-subsystem power bonus, a photonic copy of your ship that rams foes, secondary shields, and more. Each of these ships also has a nifty universal console and associated console bonuses. They also have some great unique starship traits. For the full stats on all nine ships, we'll leave a link in the show notes. The Miracle Worker Mega Bundle is available in the Sea Store now, and you can buy ships individually as a faction set of three or as the Mega Bundle of all nine. So from what I'm understanding, these are almost tier six and a half ships, right? Because of the increase in bonus power? Well, not only that, but the 12th console slot, this universal console slot. Yeah. The standard now is um, 11 for a T6 mm-hmm. ship. Yeah. It, it's, um, <laughs> I'm sorry, it brings to mind Spinal Tap. <laughs> it's like, yeah, but it, if you wanted it to be louder, couldn't you just, you know make 10 louder no but this one goes to 11 <laughs> that's, that's what these are to me is it? yeah but this one goes to 12 slots <laughs> got it got it uh yeah um right. i don't know uh, we'll see i'm not really sure why they're kind of cool um now i do want to ask one question of you guys have you actually had a look at these ships because i i'll say i really like the look of the warbirds they're kind of cool and slick, particularly the um, the tactical variant, which is kind of like a really cool bronze color and very like, um, all of the Federation ships look pregnant. <laughs> yes, yes, definitely. <laughs> Got these really thick hulls. It's like, it just it's, makes me yes. laugh. <laughs> they're like, they're, they, they're reminiscent of the film Batteries Not Included. And sooner or later, they're going <laughs> to pop up with little tinier starships. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god yes no you're absolutely right especially with the emphasis on engineering that's perfect right, that's exactly right. what they are yeah and it's not gonna it's not gonna be shuttles that it, that it gives birth to it's gonna be it's little gonna, tiny starships yeah little baby starships little baby starships escorts um, <laughs> yeah. cute so so um yeah i mean aesthetically the warbirds the they, they they i i like that sleeker design from them i'm not a fan of the the federation ships but that's just me no, I agree, Elijah, as well. I like the Klingon ships, I like the Romulan ships, but the Federation ships, they're, <laughs> they're chunky. <laughs> yes, Because yes, you know are. it's all about that hole. About that hole. <laughs> yeah. So that brings us to this week's community question. 
when was the last time you bought a new ship in Star Trek Online? And will the new Miracle Worker ships convince you to buy again? Well, that wraps up Star Trek Online news, but you can always improve your gameplay with Winter's Weekly Top Tip. In an effort to lend a hand to new players, or even surprise the most veteran captains in Star Trek Online, here's my weekly top tip. About a month ago, I talked to you about how to transfer dilithium from one character to another. This week, I'm going to talk to you about how to transfer energy credits from one tune to another without the use of the account bank. So let's say that one of your characters has 10 million EC that you want to transfer to another character. The trick is to use the mechanics that are available to you, which in this case is the exchange. So the first thing that you need to do is log on to the character that needs the energy credits. From there, you have to place a very low value item on the exchange, such as a hypospray, a triple, or even a lockbox. It doesn't really matter what the item is, as long as it's something that is very common and low in value. So when you place the item on the exchange, you simply put it up for the amount of energy credits that you wish to transfer. Once you have done that, then switch over to the character that actually has the energy credits. From there, you will need to open up the exchange and search for the item that you just put up. Once you have found it, you can then purchase it and you have successfully transferred energy credits from one character to another. Some important things to note are, to check the exchange first for the item that you are going to place on the exchange. You don't want to accidentally purchase something off the exchange that belongs to someone else. Also, if you put the low value item on the exchange for an unusual amount, then it will help you find it much quicker. Most players put things up on the exchange for pretty round numbers like 10,000 EC, 10 million EC, 15 million EC, etc. If you place your item up on the exchange for something like 12,345,678 energy credits, then it will be much easier for you to identify later. For more information, we will leave a link in the show notes at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO339. And lastly, here are some events that are on this weekend. On PC, there's an upgrade weekend live now through Monday morning. You can earn double tech points for every upgrade that you apply to your gear. It's also worth noting next week that the Hearts and Minds mission will be available again on PC for Halloween. Playing this mission will take approximately five minutes and rewards a rare duty officer. This time there's also a new emote that will unlock once you've completed the mission, and it's called Zombie. Just to uh, quickly jump in here, it's actually kind of funny to note that the community thinks that this emote is going to be the thriller dance from uh, Michael Jackson's thriller. That's what everyone thinks. That would be so amazing. That would be so amazing. Um, I would love to see that. We could see some new music videos coming in. Yes, definitely. I actually saw one a couple years ago that was a bunch of of red shirts doing doing the entire reenactment of Thriller. I have to dig that one out. Yeah, I think I've seen that as well, actually, now that you mention it. Well, moving on to consoles, this weekend is a marks weekend where you'll earn 50% extra marks in any activity that awards fleet or reputation marks. The Infinity Lockbox is back now through the 9th of November. By purchasing and using Master Keys to unlock the randomly dropping boxes, you have a chance to win a previous promotional ship, including the Tier 6 Constitution class, the Tier 6 Klingon D7, the Tier 6 Jem'Hadar strike ship, and more. 
And finally, we mentioned it before, but it's worth mentioning again. The Arena of Sompec is on consoles, now through November 9th as well. For more details about any of these events, please be sure to have a look at the in-game calendar. Now let's head to the Astrometrics Lab with some incredible news from our science advisor, Dr. Robert Hurt. With a nod to Star Trek Discovery, I'm going to call this week's Astrometrics Report the Battle of the Binary Neutron Stars. Now, this time the battle isn't between the forces of the Federation and the Klingon Empire, but astronomers all over the world rushing to identify the location of the first ever event seen in both gravitational waves and in the electromagnetic spectrum. To set the scene, Let's look back in time and across space to a distant galaxy about 130 million light years away. Amongst its billions of stars is a pair that had once gone supernova, leaving behind these dense remnant cores that we call neutron stars. These remnant cores are incredibly massive and dense, compressing more mass than the entire sun into a region only about the size of a city. As these two objects orbit one another, some of the energy of their orbits goes into generating gravitational waves, and as such, their orbits spiral slowly closer and closer together over time. Eventually, they reach a point where they're spiraling around one another hundreds of times a second and generating so many gravitational waves that they crash together into an incredible explosion. 130 million years later, these waves finally reach the Earth. First, the gravitational waves create a chirp that was recorded by the gravitational wave detectors on the planet, and about two seconds later, a gamma-ray burst was detected by orbiting gamma-ray satellites. This is the first time a single astronomical event had been detected in both electromagnetic and gravitational waves. This is very significant, because each of these waves is the messenger, if you will, of a different fundamental force of nature the electromagnetic force, and the gravitational force. And as two separate messengers, they tell very, very different things about the sources. To use a cheesy Star Trek-style analogy, it's as if astronomers have spent their entire careers watching TV with the sound muted, and only now have found a way to turn the volume up and actually listen to what's happening on the show as they watch the pictures unfold. The arrival of these two messenger signals at the same time prompted an absolutely unprecedented level of international collaboration across the astronomical community, involving ultimately over 80 observatories on the ground and in space. While gamma-ray bursts themselves have been detected and studied for many years, the corresponding detection in gravitational waves of this event allowed scientists to do two things they'd never been able to do before. First, it confirmed that the objects that collided were two neutron stars. And second, it helped them localize the event to a very small region of sky, which could optically be followed up using telescopes around the world. In just over 10 hours, the host galaxy, NGC 7993, had been identified as the location of the burst. With the fading fireball actually seen in optical light in this galaxy, at this point, pretty much every telescope on Earth and in space capable of studying this galaxy began collecting data. Over time, light from the explosion was detected across the entire electromagnetic spectrum, from gamma rays to X-rays, ultraviolet, visible light, infrared, and eventually even in radio light. 
Now, while this is clearly of great interest to astronomers, it turns out this is also critically important in understanding some fundamental aspects about the world around us. It turns out that most of the heaviest elements on the periodic table really can't be generated, at least not in large quantities, and even things like supernova. It has been hypothesized for a long time that these actually were produced in collisions between neutron stars. This includes the gold, silver, and platinum found in jewelry, all the way out to the uranium used to power nuclear power plants. Having the chance to study the afterglow of a known neutron star collision and merger, astronomers have now been able to definitively determine that these heavy elements are indeed produced in such collisions. And as we get the opportunity to study more events like this in the future, we hope to really finally nail down the question of where all of the elements on Earth actually came from. If you'd like to learn a little more about this absolutely incredible event, we'll provide some links in the show notes to other resources, including a video that my colleagues and I produced for Caltech to help explain the science. And on that note, we'll wrap up this week's multi-messengered astrometrics report and go see what's incoming. And a very special thanks to Dr. Robert Hurt for providing coverage on the recent announcements from NASA. Now, let's find out what happened this week in Star Trek Discovery. Choose Your Pain is the fifth episode in Star Trek Discovery. We open with Captain Lorca at a meeting with some admirals who inform him that until they give the go-ahead, Discovery is not to use the tardigrade for any more spore jumps. Lorca leaves angry but seemingly compliant. On the way back to Discovery, Lorca's shuttle is ambushed by Klingons, led by a female captain in a familiar-looking suit of white armor. Lorca is thrown into a cell with none other than Harry Mudd. After another cellmate has his head stamped in at Mudd's request, Lorca discovers Starfleet Lieutenant Ash Tyler, hidden behind some pipework. <coughs> Fuck. Save it. <laughs> yeah. In their brief exchange, Tyler reveals that he has survived seven months in that cell since the battle at the Binary Stars, because the female captain took a fancy to him. Meanwhile, Saru is acting captain of the Discovery, and orders Lieutenant Stamets to spore jump in pursuit of the captain, disregarding Michael Burnham and Dr. Culber's concerns about the Tardigrade's health. They successfully jump, but the creature goes into stasis, and Discovery is left stranded in Klingon space. On the Klingon ship, Lorca and Tyler work together to make their escape. They trap Mud in the cell, with him screaming that Lorca hasn't seen the last of him. Lorca and Tyler steal a raider and head for Discovery, where Saru is waiting to beam them out. With the tardigrade in stasis, Lieutenant Stamets takes its place to navigate for the spore drive and jump them to safety. Stamets nearly dies in the process, but the jump is successful, and Burnham releases the tardigrade into space. So I'm starting to notice a, a theme with uh, Star Trek Discovery is that their, their titles have a purpose. Each of the characters is essentially given a choice in this episode. For instance, Burnham, her choice is whether or not to try to fight to save the Tardigrade. Saru's choice is identifying how to be a captain of a starship vessel, especially one with such significant weight in the battle with the Klingons. You have Stamets, for instance, a classic scientist, ready to take the experiment to its farthest reaches, even if it means putting his own life in the line. I am Dr. Jekyll and I shall inject myself with this serum and become Hyde. 
is this the theme, right? Lorca obviously having to choose his pain. Who is he going to save? Is he going to save Mud? Is he does he care about Mud? Does he save? Does he save the new soldier who he found in the cell? Mm-hmm. Um, what do you guys think about that theme in this episode? What the the this idea that you each have a choice to make and it will it's between a rock and a hard place. Exactly, it's ultimately personal and there's no right answer and it's just a choice that you have to make. Yeah. I thought it was interesting that um, the writers chose for each of those people that the best choice for them, the one that came out with, well, the, the, the choice that they chose was the one where they stayed true to themselves. So um, Stamets has been fighting against, you know, the system and all of that other stuff when he really just wants to kind of, he wants to be with his mushrooms and stuff. You know, he loves them. It's kind of odd but that's that's what his it's whole, it's his whole life likewise with burnham she did speak up she chose to speak up and um and where she could uh put her opinions out there because she believed that the tardigrade needed to be protected uh, and likewise for saru he used his instincts to be able to identify Lorca and Tyler in that ship and it was when he stopped trying to be all of those other previous people before him and used his own intuition that he kind of succeeded the best good call yeah yeah Mm. so now that we've covered some of the themes in this episode what about the touchstones the easter eggs that were in this episode well for starters I mean the one that slapped you in the face was when Saru asked the computer to identify what makes a good captain. And in that process, the computer shows a list of captains and they're very familiar names. You've got Archer, Jonathan Archer from Star Trek Enterprise. You've got Robert April, who we also saw in the original series. And we have Captain Decker and and Tony. Who who who's Captain Decker again? He, he was in the original series, the Doomsday Machine episode, the one where he uh, took the shuttle and rammed it down the planet killer's throat. Yeah, that's him. Yeah. Then we had, of course, Captain Georgiou, and we have Christopher Pike. Now these are all names that we are very familiar with and established in Star Trek canon. Slightly controversial though, because at the time that this is all going on, Captain Pike is still a serving captain on board the Enterprise. Yeah, that's true. This uh, Keep in mind that Discovery is concurrent with around the time of the cage. So he, I think he'd been captain for, I think it was two or three years into his journey, but it was a little controversial to be included on that list. Yeah, well, April should be out and Pike should be just barely in. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that Pike couldn't have held an earlier command, but the actor that played Captain Pike looked pretty young and fit. It probably was one of his you know, early ones. But I tell you what, production the production designers on this episode, you know, props to them because people will be debating that little list of five names for years. I can guarantee you there will be a whole panel on that at STLV next year. I would be <laughs> really happy if they bring in Bruce Greenwood to play Pike. Like for something, even oh, if it's yeah. a little cameo. I'd be cool with that. Oh, I'd be yeah. cool with that. And of course, we cannot forget Harry Mudd. Not only is Harry Mudd a callback to a character that we are very familiar with in the original series, but he talks about his love and and adoration of his wife, Stella. Which is a bald-faced lie. Is it a (laughs) bald-faced lie? Or is it just like young love and he's he's completely enamored by her and then the, the, the relationship takes a turn? No. I think it's impossible to tell. After all, he does get captured in this episode because... He bought a moon for her and couldn't make the payments back on the moon. 
Yeah. So he says. Well, so he says. No. So he says. <laughs> yes, that Tony, may be yes. True. That may be no. true. Tony, the ever-loving cynic. Can I please interject here? Because I, before Discovery launched, I expressed a great deal of skepticism over the inclusion of Harry Mudd in Discovery. Because I failed to understand how they were going to take a character who was sort of made the lovable buffoon in the original series when actually he was kind of a horrible person, um, played by somebody who I know as a comedic actor, and how they were going to make that work. Now, I kind of loved what they did with Harry Mudd in this. I There was a little bit of lightness to his demeanor, which was interesting, but he was a pretty awful person, and that's totally believable, totally sticks with the continuity for me, and I, I'm looking forward to seeing him again now that I kind of know the way they're going to paint him. He was just... And he's, slimy and he was just totally a con man totally out for himself and um i think that's exactly what they had what they needed to do in order to make it make sense later on down the line i disagree 127.946 percent well you are wrong then (laughs) okay it's very it's a short and sweet okay okay you're absolutely right back in the 60s they took it he was a comic relief guy Mm. in both the episodes he dressed goofy and flamboyant he held outrageous opinions was super arrogant and it was just basically it was harry mud versus the world if you were here there's two sides there's harry mud and there's everybody else he was selfish he was a terrible he was a bad person right he, he just was but he wasn't evil he was just selfish and a little Reckless. Let's put it that way. A little reckless with his with his planning. Do, we and, never and, had this discussion at STLV, Tony, because you were a hundred percent wrong on that. No, that's fine. We can have this discussion. I went back <laughs> after this episode and watched and watched all three Harry Muds, the two in the original series and the one in the animated, and to sort of refresh my my impressions. And let's set aside the fact sixties production qualities old-timey, you know, sexism-type stuff. We'll just put, let's, let's set that aside for just a second. The character himself was never evil. He was just selfish. And as much as Gene Roddenberry wanted to say humanity has progressed that, here's my Starship crew, they're shining examples of what humanity can become, he's sticking Harry Mudd out here and saying, you got to watch out for these guys because they're going to operate at the fringes. They are literally going to operate at the fringes of this shining society that I've got here, and you still got to watch out for people like that. But they were never, they, they weren't the kind of person, and I imagine that Harry Mudd probably wouldn't be taking anybody else's beatings for them, but I also don't think that he's going to rant. The ranting, I think, was a little bit too much for Rain Wilson. There should have been a little more of a, them's the brakes, you got stuck in a cell with me, you're taking the ass whooping, have a good time with that, okay. Yeah, it would have been a little, There, it was. he was too dark, way too dark. And that's, I think, I, I think it's a thing. I mean, I'm sure it's a thing with the production. Everything I, about I Star Trek Discovery is dark. Listen, that, it's a it's a debate for another day because I think you and I sit firmly on different sides of the fence. I think fundamentally the difference is the way that we interpret his character in his appearances later in the Star Trek timeline. And you and I judge his appearances later differently. And that's why we're having different views. And I'm... I'm happy to uh, agree to disagree for the purposes of this episode. 
for the purpose of this episode, perhaps, but the two of you should hash it out on the episode of On Screen when Rain Wilson <laughs> reprises his role as Harry Mudd because we will see him again. We will see him again. Available exclusively to patrons via patreon.com forward slash priority one. Now, there have been, there's been some kerfluffle <laughs> regarding this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we knew going into this that they earned their TVMA rating for one reason or another. And if we hadn't already gotten that TVMA rating, well, we surely did get it now. And that was because of the use of a four-letter word twice in the same episode that could not be heard or used on broadcast television. Um, the F word. Okay. So, um, I'll, I'll, I'll go first. Okay. I don't have a problem with them having used the F-bomb. I, that, it, it that's fine. We use it in everyday speech. It's part of linguistics. I don't think that I don't think that not using the word gives you some heightened sense of evolved civility and or intelligence. My problem with the use in this episode is that it felt gratuitous. I argued about this during our on-screen review of this episode that is available now to patrons that art has the liberty of, of taking taking risks. So long as it is true to the script, true to the story, and honors the character, the story, and the place. Right? So, for instance, I'm going to give a quick example. 1984 on Broadway got a lot of flack over some of the, the, the torture scenes. However, the torture scenes were not gratuitous. They moved the story forward. They were true to the original book, George Orwell's book, it wasn't a torture scene just to do a torture scene because they could on Broadway. Same thing with this, is that I felt that the use of the the F-bomb was done almost as like comic relief when it didn't need to be. Like, it wasn't funny. Like, I didn't laugh. It's a powerful word. for It's a powerful word. Like, you don't just throw it out. Like, you don't, in the middle of church, scream that out. It's a powerful word with some connotation to it, with some weight behind it. I felt that it could have been used in a better setting. I, you know, okay, at first, it was jarring. And there's been a lot of debates going on in circles that I travel in, so I've been giving it a lot of thought. I actually think it was kind of great. And I'll tell you why. Um, A, because it's totally got fans engaged. I mean, there has been more debate over the F-bomb in Star Trek. I have seen entire articles chronicling the evolution of swearing in Star Trek. I mean, it's it's incredible what these two instances of a seven-letter word have done. Uh, Fine. But in-universe, I actually think this was a really key moment for cadet Tilly and I don't know what's going to happen to her in the future but up to this point all we've seen of her is that she's a bit dopey and kind of idiotic and she's said to Burnham I'm going to be a captain one day and this is the first time that you've had a glimpse maybe maybe back on um on the Glen that you go you know what she's kind of got something else going on there that's hidden behind this kind of uh, this mask of, you know, ditzy cadet girl, and as a as a character moment for her, plus a bit of levity, plus the amount of debate it sparked in the community, it's two thumbs up for me. 
it's fine. I I, I thought it was uh, the the gratuitous use of the word Belgium from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy comes to mind. You know, it, it's, it, did it need to be in there? Probably not. I also kind of thought it was shades of that South Park episode where they make a big deal about they're going to swear on the show cop drama, and they say they're going to use the word they're going to use the S word. Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! And when they do, it's like, oh man, you got some. S word on your shirt. Oh man! Oops. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for that. Like it, it didn't do anything. I, I get the I get the argument about about Tilly, and I think that okay, I'll go with that a little bit. But it, to to put to construct an environment uh, that requires you to have a TVMA rating and get and you know, we're going to be edgy and we're going to be you know and that's how you spend it. Right. I, it's like the yes. price. I think the cost benefit ratio on that one. Not not good, and and let me let me contrast it with uh, probably like you said the evolution, when uh, in the reboot in the two thousand nine reboot when Kirk uh, and Spock are in that little cave and Spock spends that whole you know exposition part about I was on the spaceship and then I saw this and then we went back in time and you know blah 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 this thing and then he sums it all up and then Kirk kind of looks at him and goes bullshit. That that right there, that one was like a, like a thump. That's like this is not the Captain Kirk you remember from the other universe. Number one, number two, this is a guy that is just not ready to be in this world. He's not ready to be in a universe where time travel and alternate dimensions and this kind of stuff happens. Unlike you see, the the impact was a lot greater. The, I, that was a good use of that. So all right, there's so, so much more we could talk about. So there's so much more that we can talk about, but that's why we have a whole show dedicated to this available to our patrons on patreon.com forward slash priority one at ten dollars a month. A month. That's two dollars and fifty cents a week. You can get an unedited, unfiltered review and discussion of those episodes of Discovery the day after that Discovery airs in the United States. I, I end up posting it on Monday. So we can get much deeper in this discussion, and you're welcome to join us. All right, any favorite moments? I know we didn't have time to talk about this, and it's a real shame, but the moment when Dr. Culber and uh, Lieutenant Stamets are in the bathroom brushing their teeth together, first of all, awesome PJs, and where can I get me some? Second of all, I thought that was a really great tender moment between a gay couple and it just worked between a couple yeah between a couple and it worked this was a tender moment a beautiful tender moment and in an interview with variety anthony rapp is kind of is asked about it you know like this is the really the first time that we ever see a a couple in such a natural environment and anthony rapp after having done some amazing amazing study in star trek replies back to the to the reporter going what about Keiko and and O'Brien and you can tell the two of them have chemistry with each other after 20 years of working with somebody like they're just very natural and very comfortable with each other and that's what happens when you work with somebody for that long and I've, I've experienced it myself on stage so it was great kudos to both of those actors Tony what was your favorite moment I'm gonna go back to the beginning of the show um the power, the other power couple in the in the episode, the uh, the admiral and Captain Lorca, and that relationship I thought was interesting as well. Hmm. You know, she's he's trying to win this war for you, admiral, and she's like, "We can handle it. You are expending an asset and and making it vulnerable. Cut it out." And he's and he doesn't want to. So I think that 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 tension, as opposed to the tenderness on the other side of the uh, episode, that tension between you know people who are apparently friends, they call each other by their first name later on. 
but there's a there's a boss underling relationship, but that underling has been handed a blank check, and it's that's a tough uh, place for a, a boss to be in. So, mm -hmm. I thought that was that's going to come out. I think a little more now that Lorca's been you know, recaptured you know, or set free. Winters, what about you? Uh, I'm actually going to mirror what uh, Tony said. Uh, the same thing with Lorca and the Admiral. Um, I really liked uh, the back and forth between them two, and when the issue of Burnham came up, and he was like, "Look at uh, article whatever subsection whatever gives me the right to." Yeah. Total missed opportunity there. They could have said a little known, seldom used reserve activation clause. In short. You drafted yeah. her. I mean, yeah, the total missed opportunity yeah. there. Um, but yeah, that was my favorite moment for it. Um, I, I really liked the line that he said, uh, my ship, my way. So my favorite moment is when Lorca gets caught in the tractor beam. This was subtle. And what happens is that they get caught in the tractor beam and Lorca immediately reacts. He grabs a rifle, he tosses it over to the pilot, and they get ready to engage. We argued a little bit before we got live on the show about whether or not, which one does more show and tell, Deep Space Nine or Discovery. It's little instances like this, this attention to detail of what it is to be a, a military soldier and how to react in a, in a situation like that, that I really enjoy. Captains, we know that there's so much that we did not get to cover in this episode of Star Trek Discovery, but you can be sure that we did discuss it for our patrons over at patreon.com forward slash priority one. If you'd like to consider supporting Priority One while also getting access to phenomenal content like our weekly reviews of Star Trek Discovery featuring special guests like Al, Captain Gecko Rivera, or Dr. Robert Hurt, then visit us over at patreon.com forward slash priority one to find out how. We talk about the Mirror Stamets. We talk about the Tardigrade, whether or not it's sentient. Where did it get that water in space? Find out more at patreon.com forward slash priority one. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, Captains, this is the part of the show where we open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. The community question for episode 338 was... What do you think about having to wait over a year for another season of Star Trek Discovery? Or is it too early to say whether or not it's worth the wait? From PriorityOnePodcast.com, Chiyo Umiko says, I don't mind waiting a year for another season. All good things come to those who wait. All good things? See what I did there? TNG reference? Smiley face. Nice. <laughs> nice. I don't think it's actually that long, you know, because by the time the discovery is finished, it's going to be six weeks from the, the end of January. So it's February, March. It's going to be end of March, early April. And then it's a year. It's, I don't think it's that, I don't think it's as long as it sounds. I mean, I know 2019 sounds like super far away, but 2018 is only two months away. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's not quite as long as I, as I think it feels. I would think that we wouldn't see something until 2020. That's that's kind of my sense of things, is that it, it would be 2019 or 2020 before we saw a second season. Oh, God. It nope. feels like Just, this is the nope. end of Star Trek, if it's going to be nope. that long. No, don't go... Right. From Twitter, C. Halpin says, It can't be an effective business model, though. One second after the season ends, I will cancel my sub until the next one starts. So I save... That's generally the consensus, yeah. is that you just pause your subscription in between seasons. It's interesting that we talk about this, 
because I was reading a Bloomberg article from October 11th that kind of talked about the future of CBS All Access. And so I'm just going to quote the article. Michael Nathanson, a senior research analyst with Moffat Nathanson LLC, says, quote, what we learned from Netflix is that you need to have something fresh every single quarter, maybe every single week, end quote. And I mean, we've been saying this for a while now for CBS All Access. Hopefully they can keep subscribers like you subscribing to CBS All Access with, with premium content or content worthy of your subscription. From Facebook, Anastasia Morissette says, I hope there is less violence and more science in the next season. And I have to agree with that. Uh, I mean, I think we touched on it before. The the, the violence and the, the stuff that they did that was worthy of a TVMA, yeah, they leave it out and put a bit more techno babble in, I would be okay with that. You see, I don't think that there is any gratuitous violence happening yet in Star Trek Discovery. You know, we saw the mangled bodies in the third episode, and then in in this recent episode, one of the prisoners gets kicked in the face he, by a Klingon, no, but no, that's no, because no. he's a prisoner. He gets stamped on the face. That was pretty violent. And, I'm sorry, the neck crunches again with the Bloodman neck crunches. They didn't... It it is just just a little teeny, teeny baby step too far. They could just dial it back half a step and it would be absolutely fine. Yeah, that I, it's again. I mean, it's like going back to the f bomb discussion. Yeah. It's like when is when is the appropriate time to use it? I didn't feel after you know after what I perhaps I'm desensitized thanks to things like The Walking Dead, right? Where it's well, The Walking yeah. Dead, right? <laughs> so I, I don't know. I, it it didn't bother me nearly as much as a gratuitous f bomb in some random scene. Mm. But to each their own. From Twitter at Costridge says. The show is alright, but not worth over a year waiting for season two. The destruction of the Klingons with the strange makeup and unrecognizable ships isn't worth it. You know, it might be time to invite David over from Trek Radio over to discuss his views on the Klingons because he's a community leader in terms of Klingon communities, Mm -hmm. really. And so I'd I'd like to get his take on it. Maybe we'll either bring him on for a quick uh, review on uh, our show or at least for on screen over at patreon.com. And finally, we once again took to Twitter this weekend with our Survey Sunday question. Do you trust Lieutenant Ash Tyler, the newest Discovery crewman? And out of 36 votes in a 24-hour period, 22% of you said, of course, hashtag totes Tyler. And 78%, a whopping majority, said no, period, way, period, hashtag what the Vok. I love yeah, that. Yeah, that's nice hashtagging. Well, that wraps up episode 339 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. For more great podcasts like Mission Log and Women at Warp, go to podcasts.roddenberry.com. But before we go, here's a reminder of what our community question is for this week. When was the last time you bought a new ship in Star Trek Online? And will the new Miracle Worker ships convince you to buy again? Captains, you know we love hearing from you. Leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast, or tweet us via at PriorityOnePod. 
Don't miss a thing from the world of Star Trek. Catch our episodes every Friday by pointing your favorite podcast app to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. You can even join in on the fun while we record our episodes live on Tuesday nights at around 11 p.m. Eastern on Facebook. Keep an eye on our social media channels for details. And if that wasn't enough, you can join us in Star Trek Online in the Priority One Armada. If you're interested, just head over to PriorityOneArmada.com and sign up today. And don't forget that every Saturday night, the Armada takes to our Twitch channel for some in-depth playthroughs of Star Trek Online. Follow us on twitch.tv forward slash Priority One. This episode of Priority One is brought to you by, well, you, our fellow patrons via Patreon.com forward slash Priority One. Find out about all our cool perks, including on screen, our weekly review of Star Trek Discovery with special guests each week. Now, Captains, even if you can't make a financial contribution, spreading the word about this show, sharing it with your friends, is an excellent way of supporting Priority One. It's your support that keeps us going. Don't forget to tune into Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency podcast at GuardFrequency.com, covering the world of space sims, including Star Citizen, Elite Dangerous, Descent Underground, and many more. If you like this show, then listening to Guard Frequency is the logical choice. Thanks to our audio team, led by Michael McDonald, with assistance from Brandon Parker and Jake Morgan, with additional support from Midnight Shadow 7 of Hollow Sweet Media. Another shout out to Jake Morgan for spearheading all of our social media endeavors, especially those Title It Thursdays and Awesome Survey Sundays. Thanks to our graphic artist and web designer, Henry Pomper. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. Thanks to Patreon associate producer, Navy Boatslew. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Shields up. Ready weapons. Engage. We've got at least an hour and 40 Talk minutes. Talk And we could take up like 30 of it for the intro, no problem. Because it's not like we go over time on any okay, of other cycles. Consider joining the team and becoming part of the Priority One cast and crew. If you're interested, we have a handy-dandy, formy-warmy, websitey-whitey. <laughs> you picked well, up on that well too. Yeah, I'm looking at that hyphenated word there and I'm wondering what's that do I for like us? I like handy dandy why can't that, we have handy dandy? How does that help us I like handy here? dandy fine, fine, whatever <laughs> is it a question? this is Elijah, Stow News Sync 1. This is Kenna, Stow News Sync 2. This is Winters, do you remember that one time at Bank Camp, <laughs> Sync 3? <laughs> <laughs>
I'm going to quote the article here. Michael Nathanson, a senior research analyst with Moffat Nathanson LLC, says, quote, what we... <laughs> Oh, Nathan. Can you say that? What the hell did I say the first time? <laughs> Nathanson? Nathanson like, <laughs> I said you, said it, you said it like so wrong the first time, and then you're like, Moffin Nathanson. I'm like, no, no, you can't do that. You, I'm sorry. Like, I almost gonna kind of let it go. Like, it's fine. <laughs> it's just. Nathanson and then Moffat Nathanson. I don't know why I was like, no offense. <laughs> this is Elijah. Closing sync one. This is Kenna. <laughs> this is Kenna closing sync two. This is Tony now afraid of Winter's chair sync three. This is Winter's the hurricane done some damage sync four. <laughs> closing in three. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that was like two years ago. <laughs> yeah. But it never gets it's it never still, gets old. It's never still gets laughing old. about it's it. Still funny. Oh, Which is hitting his knee two years ago. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs>